0: normal broadcasting has been discontinued coming to you from portland oregon the sports business capital of north america keep your radio
1: tuned to this frequency
0: you're listening to sports business radio now your host i tell you i've never seen anything like that guy
2: brian Berger. You have found the most informative hour of sports radio you'll listen to all week long and the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. It's a big weekend here at Sports Business Radio. We're celebrating our three-year anniversary. Thanks for joining us. In segment three, we're going to discuss the business of the Masters. Billy Payne takes over from Hootie Johnson as the chairman of Augusta National this year. There are a number of subtle changes that he's making. We'll discuss that more in segment three. In segment four, Larry Baer. He's the executive vice president and chief operating officer for the San Francisco Giants. He's going to join us. He's one of the owners of the team with managing partner partner Peter McGowan. We're going to chat about how the organization is approaching Barry Bonds' home run record chase amidst his many controversies. Also, the fact that AT&T Park is hosting this year's Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Finally, we'll talk to him about why they signed free agent Barry Zito to a seven year one hundred and twenty six million dollar contract this past off season. Couple of other notes, visit our website at sportsbusinessradio.com. Email your comments and questions to info at sportsbusinessradio.com. Listen to SBR On Demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com, click on the podcast page, and you can access our our podcast will be downloaded to your iPod or MP3 player every week so you never miss a show. I'm joined in studio, as always, by Nathan Roach. Nathan, you know, the master is one of my favorite weekends of the year, but I'm excited to catch up with Larry Bear. The Giants have had so much going on in the last six months. Oh, yeah, the offseason was huge, and I'm going to be real interested to
3: hear what he has to say about why they made some of the decisions that they made signing the berries, especially Zito, for such a large amount of money.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you look, a lot of people don't remember that back in the early 90s when they were looking for a new home and trying to get out of Candlestick Park, which was really a dump, they almost moved to Florida. This is before Florida had the Marlins, before they had the Devil Rays. So really Peter McGowan and Larry Bear stepped up. They privately finance this new ballpark that they're playing in now and save baseball for all intents and purposes in San Francisco. And now,
3: but despite everything else that's going on with the Giants, they have one of the most fantastic parks in major league baseball as far as I'm concerned. They
2: do, and I'm having I'm gonna have the pleasure of being able to go down there in a few weeks, so I'm looking forward to that opportunity. Lots of headlines coming up. Florida goes back-to-back in college basketball. We'll discuss that more. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. back
0: to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger.
2: It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, the NCAA Men's Basketball Championship and Women's Basketball Championship in the books. Let's talk men's Florida-Ohio State averaged 19.5 million viewers, the second largest average audience for the men's title game in the past five years and a 12% increase from last year's game. Nathan, 51,458 people attended the game at the Georgia Dome, which makes it the third highest attended finals game in the last 10 years. Overall, big
3: success. Big success for the game, but you know, if you look at ratings and television, it gets beat out by Dancing with the Stars and The Bachelor, which goes to show you a couple things. First of all, everybody, like I said last week, in their brackets got busted. Two number one teams in the final, nobody ever picks that. And second of all, Dancing with the Stars and The Bachelor appeal to a totally wider audience. Young females, you know, older females, people who generally make not watch the game so this really isn't a big surprise to me but the game itself a big success there at the dome
2: a few other items with this uh each athletic department again you know we we were doing our best of show last week so we didn't have a chance to talk about this but florida and ohio state each one of these athletic departments nets over a hundred million dollars a year these are juggernaut athletic departments and it's one of the reasons that Billy Donovan decided to stick around in Florida. He's going to have a lot more money, a lot more resources, a lot more at his beck and call at Florida than he would at Kentucky because Kentucky does not have a strong football program. Football and basketball drive college athletics. Florida and Ohio State have tremendous football and basketball programs. This was the first time in the history of the NCAA that the same two teams who met for the college football championship met for the college basketball championship. Oh, It's
3: it's incredible. When you think about how hard it is, both, first of all, to make it to the NCAA finals in basketball two years in a row for Florida, and second of all, how hard it is for a team to win the national championship in football to do it in the same year is unbelievable, and it's only going to get better. Students, athletes
2: are going to want to go to
3: those two schools because of their athletic programs.
2: You know, I read a funny piece that said that uh, sales for T-shirts, hats, sweatshirts for the University of Florida – probably aren't going to be very brisk because they've already got national championship basketball uh, uh, paraphernalia out. They've got national championship football stuff out. So now people already own that unless they're going to buy a back-to-back or, you know, something that says 2007 on it. These people already own that kind of apparel.
3: Well, i got to ask you, Brian, aside from sports business, you know, they've started comparing the team like Florida who wins back-to-back championships to teams like Duke and the Bruins of the earlier age. I don't see Florida as that team still.
2: Do you? I do, actually. And, you know, there was a press conference this week where Al Horford and uh, Green and Noah and uh, Corey Brewer all announced they were going pro. They're juniors. And they were so emotional. And, you know, they're going to make millions of dollars. But this was a true team. Any one of those guys could have beat you on any night. It's a credit to Billy Donovan that those guys played together as a team. I think it's very difficult to go back-to-back in this day and age with all the talent and parity that's out there. So I would put them absolutely up with those other teams. Well, we'll have to see how they do next year. Recruiting had better get
3: real good for Billy Donovan because he's about to lose a ton of his star players.
2: And the last note on this, I've got to say, I did not win the SBR pool. Adam Bjarnson, who is a local uh, broadcaster in Portland with the NBC affiliate, he did win, but in Nathan's Uh-oh. pool, I came in first. I tied he for first. He ties for first place. He comes from behind. i got to give
3: credit to Bobby Corser in first place throughout the whole tournament, and his Ducks did not make it through. Bobby, you would have had it had the Ducks won. I apologize. Hey,
0: it's okay. Uh, one note, and I'm pointing this out to Brian. 40,000-some people attended the Final Four. 51. 51. 80,000 people filled Ford Field in Detroit where they will hold a Final Four coming up
2: for WrestleMania. Wow. Yes, and I know you're a big wrestling guy, and I guess uh, Vince McMahon got his head shaved there. But since I'm not a wrestling guy, we won't go into that right now. Headline number two. This was huge news. This could have been headline number one this week. The Tribune Company announced this week that it is accepting a bid from Sam Zell. He is a billionaire. He's going to take the Tribune Company private. He's going to buy out the remaining shares for $8.2 billion dollars. As part of this deal, he is then going to sell off the Chicago Cubs because he only wants the media part of the Tribune Company, the various newspapers and TV outlets. He's going to sell the Cubs, and with that comes Comcast Sportsnet in Chicago. Now, here are some questions, Nathan. This guy is going to sell the Cubs. Who's going to buy the Cubs? We'll talk about that in a minute. But then also, is he going to sell the Cubs and Wrigley Field together? There are a lot of people that have already come out and said, if I can't buy these two properties together... I'm not interested. I would be one of those people. You've got to be able to have both of them together. Well, frankly, I think Wrigley Field is more valuable than the Cubs
3: team itself because Wrigley Field is one of the last few historic baseball fields in all of baseball. And as they continue to tear down stadiums like Yankee Stadium, it's going to be one of the last meccas of baseball. Now, the Cubs spent a ton of money in the offseason, so hopefully it'll pay off as far as the team's concerned. But absolutely, if I had the kind of money, I would not buy the team without the stadium.
2: Now, people are saying the team could fetch anywhere from... Six to $700 million. There are going to be people lined up to buy this team. Prominent names that have already surfaced. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban, Jerry Colangelo, who used to own the Suns, who owned the D-backs, helped them win the World Series in 2001, and is a Chicago native. There are also several different business groups in Chicago that have already expressed an interest. Now, the Cubs. Uh, Sam Zell wants this to happen by the end of 2007. So going into next baseball season, the Cubs probably will have a new owner. And again going to be interesting to see what this sells for. The Boston Red Sox sold for $700 million. That is the highest sale in the history of Major League Baseball. It could be uh, the same thing for the Cubs. Well, if you're a Cubs fan like I know I am and and I know you
3: are, you've got to be getting excited about the fact that owners like Mark Cuban and Colangelo may own the Cubs teams. Look at what they've done for their past organizations. Cuban with the Mavericks has just done outstanding things and Colangelo obviously did fantastic things for the Suns. So we'll see what happens. But I'm uh, excited that one None of those two might own my team and make wonderful thing happen for
2: well, the Cubs. The bottom line is this. Anytime you can have a private owner, which is about where the Cubs are going to go, instead of a public company like the Tribune owning them – it's always a good thing. Private owners usually are much more vested than public companies. Our next headline, we'll make this brief, but Major League Baseball, their extra innings deal, it is finally going to be on cable. Uh, Echo Stars Dish Network has not gotten a deal done yet. But Nathan, bottom line is this it looked like DirecTV was going to have the exclusive deal. Uh, John Kerry and Congress spoke up. They wanted cable not to be left out of the deal. Cable got a deal done this week. You're now going to be able to watch on cable. And the big thing for Major League Baseball is this. They're launching the Major League Baseball Network in 2009. They are now going to be on cable and on DirecTV on the basic tier in 40 million homes, and this is something the NFL Network has fought from day one. They are not on the basic tier, so if you're the NFL Network, you've got to have a gripe now. Well, the
3: shocking thing, too, is more people watch the NFL than they do Major League Baseball, so you'd think, naturally, the NFL Network would be on before Major League Baseball in terms of audience members.
2: A few other headlines. Our next headline, we found out this week, Major League Baseball Commissioner Bud Seelig, according to the Sports Business Journal, earned $14.5 million in fiscal year 05 A lot of people were surprised 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 by this because in his highest paid year, Paul Tagliabue, the former commissioner of the NFL, earned $11.6 million. Also, total payroll for the Major League Baseball offices much higher than that of the NFL and some of the other leagues. So they're not cheap around Major League Baseball. No, they're certainly not. Another surprise
3: for me. I certainly would have thought Tagliabue would have earned more than C-League would, but I guess I'm surprised.
2: Our last headline of the week, the NFL has canceled its preseason game between the Patriots and the Seahawks that was planned for August 7th in Beijing. Basically, the reason for this is... Uh, the NFL felt like with everything that's going on in preparation of the Olympics, this kind of would have been an afterthought. They didn't feel like it was going according to plan, so they pulled the plug. They'll do it at a later date. But something funny here, Nathan, you can still go to the Patriots team shop or go on to Patriots.com and you can buy a Tom Brady jersey in, that has his number in it, on it in Chinese and there's still a bunch of uh, apparel for sale.
3: Here, Collectors, listen up. Here we go. Buy them now. Sell them on eBay because they're going to be very valuable when they run out. I know I'm going to
2: run out and buy one myself. All right. Good advice there from uh, Nathan. Coming up next... We are going to go behind the scenes with the business of the Masters. Billy Payne, who ran the Atlanta Olympics about a decade ago, he's replaced Hootie Johnson as the chairman of Augustine National Golf Club. We're going to talk about the changes that he's implemented. also talk about Tiger, Phil Mickelson, and a lot of the companies that unveil products at the majors, including the Masters. You're listening to Sports Business Radio.
0: Hey!
2: Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division One A and elsewhere we have
0: playoffs is that the schools in Division One A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect. Of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio,
2: Saturday <laughs> or
0: online at SportsBusinessRadio.com. The website is SportsBusinessRadio.com.
2: We are back, and Nathan, one of our favorite times of the year, the Masters, is upon us this weekend at Augusta National. And Billy Payne, he's the guy who ran the Atlanta Olympics about a decade ago. He's replaced Hootie Johnson as the chairman of of Augusta National Golf Club, which is obviously home of the Masters. Johnson, who's 75 years old, had served as the chairman of Augusta National since 1998, most prominently turning back demands that women be allowed to join the club. You remember the last few years there were picketers out there. Now, this year, things are a little bit more quiet. And, you know, Billy Payne has made some really popular decisions already. Um, One of the things that he's done is he had an honorary starter. Basically, the first person who tees off at the Masters. For some reason, this uh, honorary starter had been done away with the last five years. Well, Arnold Palmer was the guy who was the honorary starter this year. He teed off to start the tournament. Uh, Billy Payne talked him into doing that. Arnold Palmer, one of the most popular golfers in the history of golf. It was a really class thing to do. And so far, everything Billy Payne has done has been the right move. It's been very popular with the players. And also, we're seeing more stuff like on CBSSportsLine.com. You know, it used to be there was streaming video of Amen Corner, which there is again. But now there's video of people on the practice range and some other behind-the-scenes video. So he's really kind of letting people uh, join the new media of the Masters. I think he's doing some good
3: things. No, I think this is fantastic, and I love tradition. I love Wimbledon. I love the tradition of Wimbledon. But, you know, with tradition comes change, and you need the change in order to keep audiences intrigued. And this is the kind of stuff you want to see. Of course, you know— I disagree with not having women at the Masters. I think stuff like that needs to be changed, and it wasn't going to change previously, and I think we're going to see some major changes over the next couple of years at the Masters. And Lauren Palmer, what a, what a great way to kick off the new Masters, if you will.
2: No, I agree, and I you know echo your, your sentiments about women. I would love to see women be able to play at Augusta National. Hopefully that will change. I think there's a much better chance of it changing under Billy Payne than under Hootie Johnson. Now, the other thing you know that a lot of people don't realize is this. The Masters really owns CBS during the telecast. So in other words, what the Masters does, Augusta National buys that block of TV time. They sell their own sponsorships. And they limit the number of commercials. That's one of the things I really love about the Masters, especially on Sunday. I mean, I think you have one commercial per hour, and they say this hour is brought to you by Cadillac or whoever the sponsor is, so we get to sit and watch the golf. There's nothing more that I hate. Then watching a great sporting event, and then you got to go to commercial after commercial, especially in golf. And guess what? The golfers don't like it either because they're sitting there on the tee or they're sitting there in the fairway, and they just want to hit the next shot.
3: Well, yeah, and you got to look at European soccer or soccer in general. They have it figured out. You see in the top corner. It's presented by something up in the scoreboard there, and that's the way all sports should be. You shouldn't make athletes wait for TV timeouts or wait to start games. They're ready to start now, and you can still sell great sponsorship packages and great sponsorship deals in the middle of the game just like that. Amen Corner this round is brought to you by Chevrolet or
2: something like that. Now, one of the other interesting things, speaking of CBS that they've done, you know, first of all, they've got more camera angles for the tournament this year, but Nick Faldo pretty controversial guy, very outspoken analyst. He is the chief analyst this year on the coverage on CBS with Jim Nance. Now, there are some of the people at Augusta National who, quite frankly, didn't want Nick Faldo in that role. They're a little nervous about what he might say. He doesn't usually toe the company line. And again, Augusta National has paid for this time. And they're selling sponsorships accordingly. So it'll be interesting to see how Nick Faldo does. uh, Does he ruffle any feathers of the, the people at Augusta National? I'll be interested to hear what he has to say. Well, here's what I compare it
3: to, and I hate to use Wimbledon again, but you have to. John McEnroe is a commentator for the BBC and NBC, and he's probably the most outspoken former athlete on the air. And he says tons of stuff that ruffles feathers, but people love hearing him on the air. And I think we'll see the same with Nick Faldo, at least I hope to see the same, and so what if you upset a couple stuffies ma- stuffy masters folks it's entertaining to watch and listen to as an audience member.
2: Now the other thing I want to talk about is 10 years ago this year 1997 Tiger Woods wins his first grand slam event wow. the Masters. He wins by 12 strokes which was a record the most uh, the largest margin of victory since 1997 all Tiger has done is this. He's won 11 more majors. He's now six behind Jack Nicklaus for the all-time record of 18. He's won $76 million since 1997, that first major win. To put that in perspective, Jack Nicklaus for his entire career, including the senior tour, won $8.3 million. So Tiger in the last 10 years has won $76 million. Jack for his career, including the senior tour, 8.3. Tiger has quadrupled prize money at every single event over the last 10 years. It is really remarkable to look back at the last 10 years and see the impact that Tiger has had on the PGA Tour.
3: Boy, has the times have really changed. And the other impact you don't look at is we talk about this all the time when Tiger doesn't play tournaments, the effect that it has on people showing up and the viewership. And it would be really interesting, not that Tiger would ever not play the Masters unless he couldn't. What would happen to the people watching the Masters on TV if Tiger
2: was not playing the Masters. It would go in the tank. I mean, it's been shown time and time again in majors or, uh, you know, any event that Tiger isn't in it on Sunday, the ratings, the British plummet.
3: Open this summer, Tiger will most likely not be there. Is that right? And so, well, it all depends on, on when the baby, but, right. you know, what's going to happen to the ratings if Tiger's not playing
2: it? Now, here's another interesting stat that I uh, heard this week. Tiger and Phil Mickelson, you know, we would love to see them play in the final round of a major one of these days. They played in 46 majors together. They've only played in the final round of one major together. So the chances are that they will not be playing in the final round of a major anytime soon as much as we'd love to see that and as much as CBS and any of the network's covering a major, they want to see the best two golfers. You know, it's funny, you see Florida and Ohio State, you see sometimes the best NFL teams meet in the Super Bowl, but in golf, because there's 95 other guys out there competing, it is very rare that you see one and two get to compete, go mano a mano in the last round of a PGA Tour event or especially major. And that's what makes golf so fantastic and disappointing at the same
3: time. We as Americans love rivalries. We feed off rivalries, tennis, basketball, just like you mentioned, but golf is so much more difficult for the two best players. We see Federer time and time again in the finals of these majors, but we only see Tiger. We never see Tiger and Phil or Tiger in the top. There's always some dark horse that comes through and does well, and that's what makes golf such
2: an amazing sport. Or Tiger just running away with it. Now the other thing, you know, a few years ago I got to go to the U.S. Open. I was doing a project for Nike Golf, helped them uh, unveil the, the Nike Golf one ball that Tiger Woods plays. But the thing for me was I got to go behind the scenes of a major championship, and it was really interesting because what happens is all these companies, whether it's Nike, Titleist, Callaway, TaylorMade, they all have their big uh, semi-buses there. And you can go in. If you're one of the pros and you want to have clubs made right there on the range, if you want to have a club tweaked, if you need a new set of of golf balls, if you need new apparel, whatever. I mean, it's like having a little store right there, and you can go in in the middle of your round or before your round, after your round, and get things tweaked as you're on the driving range. Well, a lot of these companies use the opportunity of the majors to unveil some of their product. If you go on to sportsbusinessradio.com on the blog this week, I talked about some of the stuff that Nike Golf is rolling out for Tiger. They outfit him in different outfits for every major. They're doing uh, some new shoes around the majors. And, you, again, you can see all the pictures Limited on our website. Edition shoes. Yeah, so this is really cool stuff. But these companies put a lot of money into rolling product out at the majors like the Masters. Well, it's brilliant marketing. And I say it again.
3: Collectors, buy a pair of these Tiger Woods shoes and hold on to them for a while because 10 years from now they're going to be very, very valuable. And that's what companies do. They make things – so limited that only a certain number of people can buy them, so more people, the demand for them is so much higher, and it's a brilliant
2: marketing effort. Well, I've got one of these. It looks like a lunchbox. It's like a tin of Tiger. Remember, he had the Tiger Slam a few years yeah. ago, which, by the way, he's won uh, two majors in a row, so if he wins the Masters and wins the U.S. Open, he's got another Tiger Slam. That's even more incredible in, in my mind. But, you know, you talk about collectibles. I've got these tins, and they've got his score. And, you know, this is when he was running away from the field. So uh, I agree. Some of these collectibles are, are pretty cool to hang on to. Maybe I'll sell it and put my daughter uh, through college. Yeah, look at the Jordan shoes. No, I think it's spectacular. And certainly Tiger Woods,
3: he's he's just a money-making fiend. And if you look at the Sports Illustrated article, you see what a fantastic businessman Tiger is, too, off the field with all of his new course development stuff like that. Love to see what happens in the future.
2: Coming up next, we're going to talk to Larry Bear. He's one of the owners of the San Francisco Giants. He acts as their executive uh, president, vice president. He's the chief operating officer. But the Giants have had so many things going on, from the home run chase with Barry Bonds to the signing of Barry Zito to a $126 million contract. They're also going to be hosting the Major League Baseball game, All-Star game, in 2007 Right there in AT&T Park. We're going to talk about all of that. Coming up next, you're listening to Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse. The best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection, not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu, and they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio.
0: One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio.
2: My guest is Larry Baer. He's the Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of the San Francisco Giants. Larry, you're the first team since the L.A. Dodgers in 1962 to privately finance your own ballpark, explain that process if you would, because it's really a rarity in sports these days.
1: Well you know it, it was the, really the dynamic that created uh, our group and, and, and led to us buying the team was the fact that the uh, Giants ownership <clears throat> previously who did a great job uh, at one point saving the team back in 1976, in the late 80's, early 90's, there were four elections to build a ballpark with public money. All of them failed. And the previous owner, uh, Bob Lurie, said, you know, I have no choice but to sell the team, and totally understood, and the team was about to move. We purchased the team, but we we, realized through some of our market research that it was just not feasible, not realistic for the Giants to build a park with public money. And uh, in fact, our research showed, both quantitative studies and focus groups showed that about 75% of the uh, people in the region wanted a new ballpark for the Giants, and about 75% of the people in the region did not think the public should pay for a new ballpark for the Giants. So, so as a result, uh, uh, we we felt that um, you know, we had to do it. We would have to do it privately. The good news was in that period in the late 90s, uh, arguably Brian, there was more wealth creation in the San Francisco Bay Area, and you know within 20, 30 miles of of uh, this ballpark site. Than anywhere else in the world uh, it was the Go-Go days of Silicon Valley etc so uh, there was some private private amounts of private financing uh, in terms of seat rights and sponsorships were uh, it was it was a it was a bullish time and and we were able to put together our deal
2: you know Larry it's interesting I've had Gavin Maloof the co-owner of the Sacramento Kings on this show and explain to people just how difficult it is especially in California to get voters to Pass any referendum at all that says that uh, the public is going to finance any kind of a sports venue. It seems like it's nearly impossible.
1: You know, it's and and I think this was uh, really has been the case for two decades, Brian. That um, that the public in California, you know, land is valuable, taxes are high. We have you know the pretty pretty heavy state income tax, and you know our research shows the way the public thinks about it. It's that you know, this is not the opera, this is not the symphony, this is not the ballet. These are not public, um, you know, non-profit entities. They're sports franchises that do appreciate in value. And the way the public looks at it, that uh, the owners who get the benefit of the appreciation, the owners should figure out a way to pay for their own facilities. And, you know, that's, it, it's true to some extent, but there's also some, you know, some holes in that argument. And, uh, but it doesn't really matter. That's what the public thinks. So we had to go out and aggressively figure out a way to keep the Giants in San Francisco. That was the most important thing. And, and I think there are some private financing techniques that are, that are pretty workable, and many teams will do a hybrid format where part public, part private, uh, maybe in new, some new markets. But in California, I don't think you're going to see that. I do not think that can happen. I think it's going to be very difficult in L.A. for there to be public money put into a, into a stadium and for football, and I, I just think we're, we're living in a new reality.
2: No, I think you're exactly right. Hey Larry, let's talk about your ballpark, AT&T Park, beautiful ballpark. You're playing host to this year's Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Quite an honor. Walk us through the process if you would. You know, for people who don't work for a sports organization, when you want to bid to host an All-Star Game, what does that process look like? I think
1: well, the bidding process is interesting in that, you know, you sort of set your targets strategically. Uh, in you know um, excuse me along the lines of wh- what you think you know works best in the in the cycle and the biorhythm of your franchise now in our case, our strategy was we didn't really want to have the all-star game in year one or year two or year three of our new ballpark. Some teams do, and some teams use it as an inducement to get public money or to get support for their new ballpark. What we felt is we would treat the, the uh, all-star game as really a second opening of our ballpark so we are now this year, we're in year eight of our ballpark. Hard to hard to believe it.
2: Yeah, it really is. It doesn't is.
1: seem like it's been that long. But this is our eighth year. Seven years in a row, we've been very successful. Three million attendants, uh, over three million attendants, uh, well over three million attendants all seven years. And so uh, we felt just, you know, back a few years ago, we felt, you know, that could be the time when, you know, we, we might need the extra push and we also had, uh, quite frankly, we had uh, seat licenses. they they are they, they lifetime rights, but there's price they price fixed for the first seven years. And most of the seat licenses are, are set up that way. So we figured year eight would be a good time with the all- star game as we're asking people to renew their seat licenses to have the all star game as an inducement. So put all that, put all that together. we um, we felt that uh, that going after year eight, in the ballpark was it was a, it would be a good time uh, to to host the game. Uh, people felt that well, Bond, Barry Bonds' contract ended in 2000 after the 2006 season. That was another reason, but um, we ended up re-signing him, so that did not uh, it, it, it didn't really play into the All-Star decision as it turned out.
2: My guest is Larry Baer. He's the executive vice president and chief operating officer for the San Francisco Giants. Hey, Larry, let's talk about Barry Bonds for a moment. He's approaching one of the most hallowed records in all of sports, Hank Aaron's all-time home run record. What are the Giants doing to commemorate Bonds' historic chase? I know you know, you see people who are going to get 3,000 hits, but really this is one of the most historic achievements in Major League Baseball history.
1: Uh, we, The answer to that question, Brian, is um, we, we don't have a plan uh, right now. We've obviously talked about it a little bit, but – Number one, there's no certainty he's going to, Barry Bonds is going to do it. Number right. two, um, you know, it's to put something out there. to What we're going to do is almost like a jinxing effect. So uh, he has to hit 22 home runs. The most home runs hit by a 42, 43-year-old in history. Uh, and Barry's 42 now, turns 43 in July. The most home runs hit by somebody that age is 18. Hmm. So, you know, I, I think we don't want to, you, you obviously need to be, you don't want to be, caught uh you know uh surprised but in the other hand you want to you know you you want to be a little bit proportionate in terms of your the focus you put on it so uh we don't have any uh, you know plans now but it'll be an appropriate recognition obviously for you know a, a very uh, a very big record in the world of sports
2: Sure. I mean, when the when the record happens, if it happens again, you know, we're talking hypothetically, do you expect the commissioner and Hank Aaron people like that to be there? Has anyone expressed uh an interest has, has that been discussed at all? I don't know. We we
1: we have not directly asked uh Bud Selig or Hank uh if they're coming because I don't think they know exactly. It's it's not one of those things like Cal Ripken, you know, where okay, if everything goes well and he he's able to, you know, set the record uh, you know that you have a date certain right. for it. Sure. I mean, Barry could be going traveling with the Giants for, you know, five days, seven days, ten days. That happened on uh, home run number 714, 715. Uh, he could be traveling for a week, you know, a week and a half uh, you know, while, before he hits it. So I don't know. You know, with Hank Aaron and Bud Selig travel for ten days with the team? Um, you know, they've got lives and they've got things to do. Um, so I, I can't – I don't know. It's really going to be their call. And, again, you know, no, there's no certainty it's going to happen. And so uh, what we've got to do with the Giants organization is just prepare, uh, be prepared. And, uh, you know, we we really look at it as coming up with an appropriate recognition. And uh, and that's that's what we're going to do.
2: Have you had any new sponsors come on board or anyone who said, you know, I want to be associated specifically with this chase?
1: Well, you know, we have a lot of new sponsors, and uh, we've been really very fortunate out here. I think us and the Yankees are neck and neck in terms of total sponsorship revenue uh, in in Major League Baseball, and we have a lot of new sponsors. But they don't; we're, they're not really focused on one player. I think, from the you know, from the team's perspective, you know, we, we'd like to fold in sponsors to 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 the entire team. Um, so we're not quote unquote selling sponsorships of the of the home run record. Uh, you know, uh, Major League Baseball could do that, and uh, but I'm not, I don't believe they're doing that either. And obviously, the situation we're in, we're, we don't have our heads in the sand. That's probably not going to be something that's all that, uh, you know, That that's not path that I don't think everybody's really pursuing. I think we're, you know, our sponsorships of the Giants with all of our sponsors, AT&T has its name on the park. Uh, we have, you know, sponsors of that ilk. Um, they're sponsoring the whole team, and they're sponsoring the organization, so we're not breaking it apart. We're not sponsoring a you know, sponsorship for Barry's home run record.
2: When the Giants signed Bonds yeah. this offseason to a one-year contract, uh, Peter McGowan sent out a letter to season ticket holders explaining why the team chose to re-sign Bonds. Obviously, he's had some controversies around him. I thought it was a good move. It was a proactive move by your organization to reach out to your core fans. Explain to me the, uh, the rationalization about doing such a letter.
1: Well we look the, it, it, we were you know spent hours and hours, days and days, weeks, and weeks um, getting feedback from people about uh, about whether to resign Barry or not resign Barry and you know it's no secret that we you know examined many alternatives it's no secret that there were very strong opinions and we think that we owed it to our fans and to our public to at least have a um you know a an honest and fair perspective on uh why we did what we did and how we did what we did uh it was not it was a you know a very um, uh long and uh you know somewhat grueling process to put together the uh you know the the deal and uh and it got put together and we are you know and it was uh, and but and we felt that People that pay a lot of money to watch us play and to sponsor us uh, should have the benefit of our thinking.
2: Larry, what is the perspective in San Francisco? The fans in San Francisco, the people coming to Giants games, what's their perspective on Barry Bonds?
1: I think that the fans in San Francisco view Barry Bonds as as one of their own, as almost a um, uh, you know sort of a, a little bit of, of you know their their next of kin.
0: Sure, I say that
1: because. Uh, Barry's godfather was um, is Willie Mays, as you know, and uh, one of the, you know perhaps the greatest ever, uh, greatest giant ever, maybe the greatest player ever. Uh, Barry's father, Bobby, was a great giant, played uh, and, and started his career with the Giants and, and had a great career, and was a very very much a, a liked figure, and came back and coached with us when we signed Barry. And so I think that people here, there's a lot of reasons to feel attached to him. Obviously, his performance with seven MVPs, four as a Giant, uh, is a big deal. Five as a Giant is a big deal. But I think that there's also beyond that the fact he grew up in the in you know the Bay Area, just down the peninsula, just down the road from the ballpark. The fact he was in diapers in the Candle Giants clubhouse and Candlestick. Yeah. Um, they really view Barry as a. As one of their own, and to the extent that he's, you know, that there are problems, I think their instincts, the fans' instincts, might be, you know, somewhat protective. Yesterday at opening day, I mean, there was a, you know, a tremendous, you know, outpouring of support and and um, and you know, a lot of lot of, uh, of cheering and a lot of uh, enthusiastic love being shown toward him.
2: Last question. We've got about a minute left. You invested in another Barry that's offseason. Barry Zito, you signed him to a seven year, $126 million deal. What qualities does Barry Zito possess that led you to make that sizable investment in him?
1: Well, I, I tell you what, the qualities that we saw in him are, you know, we feel very important to, you know, before you sign anybody to a long term deal, especially a pitcher, and also before you, 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 know, you know, make the sort of statement that we made with the Zito signing. Uh, in terms of being you know, a primary guy for us uh, long term and that is uh, you know really three qualities: one is tremendous work ethic i mean keeps he works hard and keeps himself in great shape uh, and that 's important and that 's something we saw him in, in bonds in in, in one thousand nine hundred and ninety two when we signed him as a free agent, really our only other you know major free agent signing in fifteen years here uh, the second The second thing we see is um, he really wanted to be a giant. He, he, he liked the way we interacted well. He liked the, the way we operate. He's seen us up close because he was across the bay in Oakland, and that was a big deal. Um, and so he f- he felt the fit was good. He had a passion for wanting to be here. And then the third thing is, quite frankly, is his commitment to the community and, and, all, and everything off the field, from his stand-up for the troops, for troops charity, to all the little things he does. We felt that he could create leadership within the clubhouse in off-the-field initiatives and in just, um, you know, and in, in just the, the chemistry from which, you know, the players, you know, operate, because a guy like him with a contract like that is going to be viewed as a leader, whether it's voluntary or involuntary, it's it's the way it is, and he has done already, the last day of spring training, he went down to the minor league complex before, before everybody flew up to San Francisco, and he took every minor leaguer in the organization out to dinner, rented out a restaurant, wow. took them all out to dinner, and you know, guys who were being you know sent to Norwich or Salem or Fresno, any of our minor league teams, uh, he just said, "Look, hey, I'll see you, I'll see you up uh, up in San Francisco, you know, in in due time, and good luck, and go get them." And he went table to table. I mean, you know, it's there were there were a lot of factors in in you know having a guy that uh, we feel was you know the right person to have around here for a while.
2: Class act. Hey, Larry, that's all the time we have. Guests appearing during our Sports End segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Mortons nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Larry, best of luck with this season, and I really appreciate you taking time to catch up.
1: Sounds great, Brian, and I look forward to uh, talking to you again soon.
2: You take care. We'll talk soon. You're listening to Sports Business Radio.
0: This is Sports Business Radio.
2: We are back with our final segment. Nathan Dice K. Matsuzaka of the Boston Red Sox made his long-anticipated debut this week in Kansas City. He went seven uh, scoreless innings, I think, struck out 10, and there were 200 Japanese media in attendance at that game to see his debut with the Red Sox. They may not have 200 media at kansas city's Kauffman stadium for the rest of the year i don't even know what to say about that
3: that's incredible and it's a good start for him we've got to wait the whole season to see if he was worth the coin another
2: note this week a sad note former grambling coach eddie robinson died at age 88 this week you know he had an amazing legacy he coached for 55 years at the same school we may never see that again he had 408 wins he was the first coach to uh, 400 wins 200 players he sent into the NFL. You know, he was really more than a coach. He was a father, a mentor, uh, a role model to these kids that played for him. And in my opinion, I think he truly belongs on the Mount Rushmore of college coaches when you're looking at that in the future. Uh, Also, next week on our show, big, big guest, the commissioner of the NBA, David Stern, is going to join us. I'm really looking forward to that, Nate. The commish. You know, David Stern is so
3: accessible, and that's what I love about him is he really does a great job of marketing the NBA and, allowing, and making himself available to people. We've never had the Major League Baseball commissioner on here, obviously C-League, but I love listening to Stern. I think he does a fantastic job with the NBA.
2: He's always got great things to say. So many topics we want to cover with him, but, you know, as I said at the beginning of the show, this is the three-year anniversary this weekend of Sports Business Radio. The commissioner was our first ever guest. One what a way to get our show kicked off, so I'm excited to catch up with him next week. A lot of thank yous for this week's show. Larry Baer from the San Francisco Giants, really appreciate him joining us. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, and James Harris. Our sponsors, Morton's the Steakhouse, Nike Golf, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, and a podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week by going to Sports Business Radio and clicking on the podcast page. Nathan, Bobby, happy Easter weekend to both of you. I uh, hope you guys have a, a great time uh, with your families. Will do, yeah. You know, I'm getting ready to move into my new house,
3: so uh, it's going to be a busy one.
2: And I'll be sitting watching the final round of the Masters, as I always do. Uh, hope that uh, Tiger's in the mix, uh, coming down the stretch on Sunday. DL3, you've been listening to Sports Business Radio again. We'll see you next week with the commissioner of the NBA, David Stern. Have a great weekend.